We would like to offer our respects to the traditional elders of all generations upon whose lands this podcast has been created, including the Camaragal people of the Eora Nation. We'd also like to extend that respect and recognition to any First Nations listeners. How well do you think you know someone? Maybe your initial impressions are all wrong. What if their real stories are more interesting, more amazing and more surprising than you ever expected? This is Let Me Tell You from SBS Voices. I'm Caitlin Chang. And I'm Sarah Malik. And we are your hosts as we hear the unexpected stories behind ordinary people's lives. All of these stories were originally written for SBS Voices, Australia's home of diverse storytelling. But they were so good, we thought they deserved to be spoken out loud. In this episode, we hear from Lu Chi, who shares her online dating war stories. Except in her case, the dating disasters are laced with a painful twist. Wait till you hear, Caitlin, the kinds of things Luchi hears on these sites. I know. Yes, it's major creep alert. I mean, dating is hard at the best of times, but adding in this experience too, it's kind of hard to listen to. Yeah, definitely. I think that her story will really resonate with heaps of women in our swipe right dating world. Totally. So here is Luchi Nguyen reading, Your thing for Asian girls is not a compliment. And just a quick note that all names in this story have been changed. I groaned as all the signs I had ignored collided like pieces of Tetris and sank deep into my gut. It was a Saturday afternoon and I was sitting in bed browsing through Bumble. I had been on this supposedly classier version of Tinder for about two weeks. I wasn't hopeful to meet anyone significant. As a junior doctor, it is rare that I stay in the same place for more than a couple of years, and I was due to move again in the next few months. Bumble was just my way of social profiling. A guy got a yes from me if he wasn't but ugly and overtly obnoxious on his profile. Justin was 31 and a corporate professional. I gathered that much from his job description as director and the grey suit and collared shirt that he wore in his profile picture. He was white with curly black hair and grey eyes behind wire-framed glasses. If he walked down the street, I probably wouldn't have looked back at him. But his profile read, I travel between Asia and Australia for work. I was born in Canada and can speak French. Call me an intellectual snob, but in an app where most guys couldn't be bothered to type full words, a profile that contained a complete sentence was a refreshing, how are you, in a sea of sup. Oh, I really like this one. He can write in full sentences, I thought to myself. And besides, surely he would be interesting if he's traveled so much. I swiped right and messaged, Hi. Hello, lovely to meet you, he wrote back. Tell me about yourself. I smiled. First contact confirmed my preconceptions. He was eloquent, or as eloquent as someone can get on a dating app. He seemed like a gentleman. I was impressed. Over the next few hours, in between my two loads of laundry and meal prepping, 
we messaged about the weekend, our careers, and future plans. He told me he had a master's of economics from a university in Canada. I told him about my work as a junior doctor. I'm training to be a psychiatrist, I told him. There's so much we don't know about the brain. His response was short. You're such a sweet girl. Okay, I didn't think having to engage with severely drug-affected patients at 4am on a regular basis allowed anyone to be sweet. A worm of irritation slinked into my chest. Where are you from? He asked. Sydney. I mean, what are you? I sighed and tapped. I'm Vietnamese Australian. I went to Vietnam two years ago. I love the culture. You are Gai Dep. I suddenly felt cold and still. Calmly and measuredly, I wrote, Don't you think you should like a girl for the individual merit? I put the phone down, tense. My first thoughts about Justin had been wrong. He was now scoring very highly on how to piss me off with the least number of characters in the shortest amount of time. I had chosen to tell him about my career, to which I had dedicated eight years of my life, simply for it to be summarised as sweet. I doubt that if I had been a white woman or a white man, he would have used the same description. Being sweet and docile is an image that prevails about Asian women in Western culture. A Google search of Asian women will bring up multiple opinion articles from men telling other men to date Asian women over women of other races because we're more softly spoken and traditional. These men sprout pseudoscientific explanations for this image, claiming that we have higher estrogen levels, meaning we also look younger and smaller and are biologically more desirable as a result. The flip side of the docile Asian stereotype is evident in the flashing dating ads that adorn the sides of these articles. East Asian women smiling demurely at the camera, a contradictory message that Asian women are hypersexual objects. Exotic, erotic, commodified. This fetish is a sensitive subject for Vietnamese women, which goes back to the Vietnam War. Our mothers and grandmothers were visible to the West as prostitutes or mistresses to Allied soldiers, fictionalized in the musical Miss Saigon. The stereotype of a publicly docile woman who is also a vixen in the bedroom, enhances the idea that all Asian women are there for white male consumption. I remember being 12 and shopping on Oxford Street with my mum. I was shuffling through dresses at a discount clothing store. My legs, bare under my cotton sundress, were cold every time the store fan rotated towards me. I smelt the sickly sweet smell of beer and looked up. Two Caucasian men were looking straight at me. They both had crew cuts and sleeve tattoos that stretched up over their arms. The shorter one had bloodshot blue eyes. Ni hao ma... 
he sees at me. I stared at him, but said nothing. I knew I was safe inside the shop with its security cameras. You would look pretty in that dress, said the taller one, pointing at a yellow dress on the rack. You would look pretty in a bikini, added the shorter one. Then they casually made their way out of the store. What were they saying? asked my mum in Vietnamese, her voice snappier than usual. Nothing, I replied. They were just being gross. To my surprise, Justin responded to my last Bumble message about an hour later. I just prefer Asians. They have attributes I like. They're smaller, slimmer. Once again, he made me feel sick. Small and slim for Asian fetishists have pornographic connotations. The fantasy of a small Asian vagina. But can't a female of any race be small and slim? I messaged back. It's just a preference. I don't know why this is a problem. Perhaps it was because Justin was well-educated and seemed eloquent, qualities that I linked with being fair-minded, that is to say, not racist or sexist, that I kept trying to argue my case, even though it was past midnight. I was determined to make this white man see. It is offensive because I'm an individual and you have a preference for my race, not me. I'm not just this Asian stereotype that you can pull off the internet and you use my language without knowing the connotations behind the words. I have said Gaidep to lots of women and no one has ever said anything bad about it, he said. Maybe no one had said anything to Justin about it, but here's what I can tell you about it. Gaidep means beautiful girl. Gai generally means girl or female, but in Vietnamese, the meaning is derived from context. Gai on its own has connotations of the sex industry. In Vietnam, men met Gai in bars where they sat on their laps and sweet talked them, unbeknownst to their wives at home. Gai Dep is also an affectionate term that my grandfather called his daughters because they were always little girls to him, short for Gong Gai or female child. All this and more, which was too complicated to explain to Justin via a dating app. I can't even, I wrote. It's late and I don't want to argue about this all night, he replied. Let's agree to disagree about this and not let it get in the way of our relationship. And with that, I blocked him. And now we're joined by Luchi Nguyen, the writer of that piece titled Your Thing for Asian Girls is Not a Compliment. Hi, Luchi. Thanks for joining us today. Hello. Now, I have to say, when you were reading that piece, you could like almost feel your stomach drop when he replied to you, you're such a sweet girl. What did those five words mean to you when you read them? What was going through your head? I think you, like you saying that there's a stomach dropping feeling was really reflective. Yeah. <laughs> it was really true. Um, it was just a huge letdown. So I, you know, we were talking about something that was professional and he just like made it feel like so, so much less. I mean, he thought that was a compliment, but yeah, you're talking about your very 
stressful job, you know, yeah. working in psychiatry and he kind of took nothing from it. He didn't really take it. I think I could have said I like loaves of bread and he would have said the same thing or if I said, oh, my favourite coffee is Starbucks and he would have could have said the exact same. You're such the exact a sweet girl. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounded though, you know, you could almost see what, once he'd said that, you could almost see where the conversation was going to go. Yeah. Had that happened to you before? So I guess that incident happened in my first stint of being single after a long-term relationship, like a four or right. five-year relationship. Yeah. So it was my first time ever being on any dating app. And so a lot of the time you just can feel that there's, yeah, it's not going to go anywhere in like with the short sentences and there's just like nothing conversations. But not with that incident, it was more like something that was a bit offending, like and a bit kind of an affront. It's just like, but you think so little of me, like how, yeah, how does that work? It's, it's not that's not the best kind of introduction to dating apps, is it? No, no. <laughs> Especially when he seemed kind of promising. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had, I guess, all the superficial indications of being an intelligent human being and someone you can have a good conversation with, but no. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a vulnerable experience putting yourself out there to date mm. online. I was wondering if you had any other horror interactions with men on the apps that you remember. I do have one that was pretty bad. Like I went out for drinks with this guy and all I wanted, like I was in, I think it was in Melbourne at the time traveling from Wagga and like it was just meant to be for drinks. Like I was in a new city, etc. And um, so I tried to like get rid of him. I tried to say, oh, the night's ended, bye. And he followed me to the hotel room. Like he followed me up the elevator and the stairs and stuff. And like he kept on saying like, oh, do you want, you know, kind of, he's like, oh, can I come into your room for drinks, like more drinks? And I was like, no, there are no drinks in my room. And then he said, oh, how about tea? Like, let's drink some tea. I'm like, no, I don't really want to drink some tea. And he's like, water, I'll just have water. And, and I was just like, how about we go back downstairs again? And so I kind of led him to the front door and he thought I was going to follow him out. And then I kind of said, bye. And um, he left and like the door closed. <laughs> and I went up to my hotel room again. It's horrible because, you know, I think a lot of women would find it relatable feeling that kind of lack of safety sometimes yeah. on apps or dating. But I think when you're a minority woman, all of that exacerbated by the racial anxiety mm. on apps and the racism that you can mm. experience. And so I really love how you really dissect that and how it can be so subtle. And can you really point out to people why that is so problematic, this preference for Asian women? Why is it problematic? Because saying someone's Asian and liking Asian people, it's it's meaningless. Like Asia is such a large geographical area. Like you've got what well, stretches from Russia all the way to Southeast Asia. You know, the races and the cultures are so different and people, obviously people look really different as well. So it just, it's really meaningless, I think, to say like I have a preference for Asian women. I think in Australia, when people talk about Asians, they mean East Asian and it you know, excludes kind of you know, all other countries and cultures, including my own, because I'm Southeast Asian. Yeah, and I think that's just, I think it's just silly. I think we should just all be individuals, you know, and we should be, you know, taken for all our individual kind of aspects. Because what if you're not, like, what if you're, 
I don't know, like let's say you're a Korean woman and you're not like small and slim and you don't look like a K-pop star. Does that make you any less Asian? Does that make you any less of a woman? Like, no, you're just you. You're meant and you people should accept you for for you. Mm, Exactly. It's interesting. You you do kind of have another example of, you know, men seeing Asia as this kind of monoculture when those two men on Oxford Street say ni hao ma to you when you're not Chinese. And that whole scene that you describe is really quite, I don't know, it's quite horrifying to read like that you went through that as a 12-year-old. Yeah. What do you remember most about that and how you felt at the time? I guess I'd point out that when I was 12, I looked older than right. I was. Um, I looked about 14 or 16, which still makes it gross and yeah, yeah not yeah. good. Um, I think I was just affronted, like you, and you don't, you're confused when you're when you're that age. You just don't know like what to kind of you don't know what to think. And like Oxford Street at the time, so this would have been early 2000s. I think it was still sometimes a bit of a rough kind of area and um yeah like it was just a bit confusing and yeah you felt unsafe like you just kind of like oh why are these people talking to me um I don't know you and like growing up you know you always learn about stranger danger so in general it was just this feeling of unsafety and you don't necessarily even think of the racial aspect of it until years later you're like oh that there was a huge kind of like there was a huge like you know stereotype of that as well. On top of just you shouldn't approach a rando teenage girl and say shit to her like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Even if you couldn't quite pinpoint it, this feeling of unease and mm. you know when you talk about your mum, her voice being snappier than usual. Do you think she had a sense of what was going on as well? I think so. I think she was worried. Like I think she knew someone thing was up, and also yeah, you don't talk to strangers. She's like, why? Why are those people talking to my daughter? Yeah, yeah. I think so many young women would have a story like that as well. Like mm. you kind of think back to being in, you know, early high school and, yeah, there's this. Sexualization. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And older men feeling like they can just come and talk to you and you're not quite sure what to do or, you mm. know, how to kind of push back and be like, no, don't talk to me because there's this stranger danger and also I think young women are conditioned to be polite and not. Mm. upset people. Yeah, like not rock the boat. And I do remember on this topic kind of growing up and, you know, being told like, oh, don't wear something too skimpy or skanky or whatever, just because you might draw like this kind of negative male attention. It's like the onus is on you to like be as unobtrusive and pure or whatever it is. Like, whereas it's like, no, they're like, I think we're recognizing now in comparison to, you know, maybe the early 2000s that no, it's the onus is on the person kind of interacting with you to not be an asshole and not be a creep. I mean, I think there's a lot of conversation now around this kind of thing, you know, which is really great. And I think you are opening that up. And I was wondering, you know, did you get a lot of reaction to this piece from other people who related to it? Yes. So, so when I wrote the piece, it was with the writing group Sweatshop and the director, Michael Muhammad Ahmad, he, he said, look, like writing is a bit like putting a cockroach bomb into the world and then you know running away and I was I think forewarned to not kind of look at comments and that kind of thing on social media so I didn't but you know I did get linked 
into like, you know, the, the, you know, into like links of this article. And one of the really nice things about it was that there was a women's, women doctors Facebook group. And they linked me into this Facebook group that I had no idea existed. And they said, oh, hey, she's a doctor. Like, this is a really cool piece. Lots of people resonated with it. And now I'm part of this Facebook group, which was really nice. And it was really validating, I think, to have so many women saying like, I'm not even a person of color. And yet like these experiences that did resonate with me as well. I had other people who, like as in so so like queer white women, um, who a few of them kind of emailed me or contacted me in other ways and said, you know, I used to think it was a compliment, like when I was dating to say like, oh yeah, like I love Asian people, they have such nice skin, that kind of thing. And now I realize it, it, that's not okay. Like that's, it's not a compliment. And I, from what I can gather from my friends, um, when they told me about what was going on in the comments, I think there was a lot of arguments as well who for people who I guess like felt offended because they, maybe they were the people who felt it was justified to yeah, like to say that, yeah, I love Asians, et cetera. Um, and there was also this guy who reached out to me, uh, like personally on my on my Facebook messenger, which was a bit annoying. And he was just like, oh, no, Justin was just being nice to you. Like, you're so mean. Like, just kind of be more accommodating. I'm like, no, like I, don't, I explained why it was not okay. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's why this piece really struck a nerve because it is so hard to talk about racism in Australia and I think we only, only think racism is overtly negative yeah. things or demonization, but romanticization is the flip side of that coin and being patronized or being condescended to or being romanticized, it kind of has a creepy element to it mm. and it is mm. also um, problematic and that's yeah. really hard to describe to people and talk about that kind of racism, isn't it? Yeah, like date the individual. <laughs> Don't make a shortcut in your head because it's easier to understand that, you know, this person's from this country, therefore they must have these attributes. Like actually be present and look at the person in front of you. Like that's really what I wanted to talk about. And so what are you doing now in terms of, so are you still training in psychiatry? Yeah, I've got about 15 months left approximately. It was like training left. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if your experiences kind of influence your work like you've obviously thought so deeply about what it means to be sexualized as a young girl mm. how it affects self-esteem um, I wonder if that's something that you see through your psychiatry lens as well I think I like to be uh, what part of being a good therapist so when you do psychiatry training you're you're a doctor but you also learn to be a therapist too like you learn different aspects of kind of psychotherapy and part of that is being genuine and being present um, and so that I think maybe I take part of that into my own work or maybe I also took that when I started dating my now partner and that was pro probably a positive experience. Equality in dating, equality in a relationship, like it seems like you've really strived for that. Yeah, it's hard. I think some of it, you, sometimes you just have to be blunt and open. Like I think that's really important and just be able to reflect on yourself about how you can improve as well. I think that's really important. I just love how you can go through these negative experiences but then still maintain a sense of positivity and possibility yeah. for your life. With this particular Justin experience, mm. I initially just thought it was like this funny thing. He thinks that he can say all this stuff, stereotype me and still think I want to talk to him later and potentially have a relationship. I'm like, why would you think that? Why would you think that? I know. <laughs> the I audacity. That. I, I love that it was like, look, let's not let it get in the way of 
a relationship. <laughs> Non-existent. Though, yeah, even though I've really offended you. Yeah. yeah. You still want to date me, right? <laughs> yeah. And there's just that disconnect and it's yeah. just so mind-boggling when you can have those interactions in society and you realise we have totally different ways of viewing the world. Reflecting on myself, like I, I've offended people, like, yes. you know, and if someone says, hey, you've, you've upset me, I'll apologise and kind of think, next time let's not do that whereas he was just like no I'm in the right yeah I just keep acting the way I'm acting and you're you're overly sensitive you're you're kind of silly woman with your feelings um that was the vibe that I got from him so yeah I think being gaslit in that way is the most infuriating when people are talking about Mm -hmm. sexism and racism it's like how would you know you don't experience it so maybe let people who have experienced it tell you why they're offended exactly Mm -hmm. yeah Thank you so much, Luchi, for being with us and for sharing that really great story. Of course. Thanks for the experience. And that's it for today's episode. Next time we speak to Mark Mariano, who talks about how to find your place in the world when you grow up in a church-going family, but you're also a self-described Gaijin who secretly worships the Queen Beyonce. I know that it comes from a place of love, and I know that breaking away from such rigid structures, especially like a religion or a church, can be really hard to do, and it's hard to see the other side. Let Me Tell You is produced by Sarah Malik and Caitlin Chang, with audio by Jeremy Wilmot and Max Gosford. Our executive producers are Natalie Hambly and Danielle Teutsch. If you'd like to read more of our stories, head to the SBS Voices website at sbs.com.au forward slash voices.